Our Hebrew scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of God's robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above the Lord, and each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the, violent, at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The epistle reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Listen for the word of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Please join me in our responsive response, unison response to the word. Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts whose word comes to us, touches our lips and hearts, and inspires us to hear and answer the call to new birth. All right, I'd like to just jump into the sermon, but I feel duty-bound to at least say something about the Trinity on Trinity Sunday. So why do we have a Trinity? In the time about Jesus' time, the church was Greek. The ideas were Greek. What happens if God created the world? What would happen? This is really tough. This is unfair. These are really unfair questions. God would change, right? If you, before you created and after you created, you become a creator. In Greek thought, you can change only one way, for the better or for the worse. There's no such thing as a lateral change. God couldn't become better by being creative or God wouldn't have been God, right? And certainly by creating a universe, God couldn't become worse 
right? Some people think so. But so what do you need? You need an intermediary. God does not get the holy hands dirty by creating the universe. So how does God create? Think John 1. What's it say in John 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made through the Logos, the Word of God. God does not get the holy hands dirty, because then God would change. This is going to annoy Nick a lot. <laughs> Who was the first one to come up with an idea of the Trinity? Was it a Christian or was it a Jew? Oh, it was a Jew. I'm thinking I'm hitting a Jew. Philo of Alexandria was the first one to come up with the idea of a Trinity. And it's not the Trinity that we have in the church. It's the Father, the Logos, and then wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes, wisdom is the one who dances with God at creation. So actually the idea is not originally Christian, although Christians took it and turned it and made it something totally different. Philo would not have liked, but anyway, that's that. So, you've got a trinity, you've got a father and then the son, you know, father begets the son and the father begets the spirit. All that great stuff. And that's how you preserve monotheism, because you've got the father on the top. All right. None of you wanted to know that, right? Do I have an amen? amen? It's Trinity Sunday. i got to tell you something about the Trinity. Okay. But the idea is that the, the lovely thing about the Trinity is not only the inner life of God, but that's called the... And, and I, I spent a lot of money learning this, okay? So I'm going to foist it in and make you suffer for my education. That's called the imminent Trinity. That's the... That's the imminent, that's the inner life of God. But there's another life of God, right? It's called the economic trinity. I know you didn't care. And you so won't care after this sermon is done. But you'll say, I learned some useless information at church. I wish I was dead. You know? That's a, that's a half an hour of my life I'll never get back. Okay. But the economic trinity is where God brings us into the very life of God. That's what it is. And that's what Paul's talking about in adoption. Paul actually believed that Christ was adopted into the very life of God. Paul's idea is very interesting. We get adopted into the very inner life of God. And so the crass title is, who's your daddy? You know, who's your daddy? And, and I say this tongue-in-cheek because when, when we were living in gig harbor the neighbor across the street was a young boy whose mother would not tell him who his biological father was he never knew who his dad was and as he grew into a man and he got bigger and, and literally became a very big young man it became clear who his dad probably was but you know adoptive children they always want to know who was who are my parents who were my parents? Who were the ones who brought me into this world, and why didn't they want me if they didn't want you? The other thing is you've got people in this world 
whose biological parents weren't all that wonderful. It's amazing when you do and you read church statistics about how many people sitting in the pews have been victims of neglect or abuse. It's one of the things that we don't talk about in the church, sometimes by a mother, but more often by a father. And people say, well, how can we, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, we don't say our Father. And for some people in the church, if you were abused by your father, the last thing in the world you want to hear is that God is your Father. That's the absolute last thing in the world you want to hear. But Paul says, well, maybe, just maybe, we need to think about that differently. God is not the kind of father who does that to God's children. And what's the hallmark of being adopted into God's family? It's going from fear to adoption and love. I've had three people in my office this week and one of them was a very prominent musician in town. And all this individual wants to do is give back to the community and give back to others. And can't find a venue to do this because the people at the school district or in the universities or others are intimidated by this person's talent. And they don't want to bring him into their program and have them say, you're nothing compared to this guy. I read another article that was forwarded um, by a member of our congregation about the backlash against gay marriage in this country. And the person, I think, rightfully said, as economic times get hard, people need someone to blame. People need someone to say it's their fault. We've seen this throughout history. The world's going down the crapper, and this is exactly why it's going down. Right? Why did the plane hit the Twin Towers according to the Reverend Jerry Falwell? Because of our stance of gays and lesbians. Can you imagine that statement? Yeah, 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 unbelievable. Who is your daddy? And this is a serious question. Who is the one that we worship? Honestly, think about this. I have somebody who came up to me and said, you know, this is who God is, and I, that's why I can't come to church. It's like, I don't believe in that God either. I never have. And let's say, let's just say for argument's sake that the God you think is there, that's who God really is. This is a God who would rather have planes fly into buildings and kill thousands of innocent people just to send our country a message. That's who they believe God is. If that were true, I would not be here. That God is not worthy of worship. That God is not worthy of praise. That God is not the God who, I love this, when God appears to Isaiah, you know, and I just, I so relate to Isaiah. 
like, oh, I've just seen the king. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips, and I quite frankly like it. <laughs> we have a great time together. But I'm lost. I am in your presence, and I'm going to get fried or whatever it's going to happen. And the seraph takes a coal and touches it to the lips and said, your sin has departed and your guilt is gone. And that's the last I want to hear about it. Now what we do is we spend the next three years of our lives beating ourselves up. When we finally come to the realization that our lives aren't what we want them to be, we just say, I'm going to, you know, I've wasted X number of years of my life leading a life I shouldn't have led, and now I'm going to spend the next six years of my life re regretting how I lived. That is really good use of time. Or you can just say, okay, moving on. Moving on. Your guilt has departed, your sin is no more. Now, there's work to be done. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He is the only one in Scripture who does this. People think that's what a prophet is. A prophet says, here's what God wants. Thank you, what can I do? No, that is not what prophets do. Moses, I'm slow of tongue. Jeremiah, I'm too young. Everybody else says, you got the wrong guy. Or you got the wrong woman. You want someone else. You want someone holy. You want someone who lives on St. Anne's Drive. Someone holy. You know, there's a background check to actually live on this street. I'm kidding. You want someone else, oh God, and God says, no, 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 I'm going to touch your lips. Your sins, got, your sins departed. You know, it's, it's, we're done with that. I don't want to hear it again. I don't want the excuses because I have adopted you into my family. And this is a family in which you are unconditionally loved as my child. Unconditionally accepted. God has not given us a spirit of slavery into fear but a spirit of adoption. And with that spirit of adoption, we know that it doesn't matter what we've done before. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is saying, here am I, send me now. And the community came together on Friday to honor Miss Ann Wood. And I thought I knew a lot about Ann, but I really didn't know everything she's done. I don't think there isn't a service organization in this city that she hasn't pestered to work for them. She's worked for everybody. I'm just, I'm here trying to get people to do one thing, and she's working for 60 organizations. I don't know how you do it. It's true. It was like, where do you have the time to do anything, Ann? 
But that is what you do in response to realizing you've been adopted into God's family. There's gratitude. Because whoever your biological father is, whether you know that individual or not, who's your daddy? He's not your daddy. Jesus is always saying, my brothers and sisters are those who love me and do my will. My mother and father are those who do God's will. That's who my family is. That's who our family truly is. And what I hope this church can be is a community, regardless how functional your family is, and my favorite quote of of a definition of a dysfunctional family is any family of two or more people. (laughs) I mean, it just kind of puts it on the lowest common denominator. Regardless of how functional that family actually is, God says, you're part of my family. You are adopted into, and we are heirs with Christ in that family. And that, my friends, is exceptionally good news. Amen.